And so if that can be a blessing to you, then let it be. How many of you are familiar with Joshua 24? Are you? You know this man, don't you? My oldest son is named Joshua. You know why? Because this is one of my heroes, this man Joshua. I love this man. He explodes on the pages of God's Word in just a simple matter. He's a servant to Moses. And we found out his dad's name was Nun. I've always thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun. And if you didn't know how that smelled, you'd think he didn't have a daddy. But he did have a daddy. His name was just Nun. And that's a weird thing to kind of name your son, isn't it? Nun. But he was, his parents named him Nun, and Nun had a son. It kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Nun had a son who didn't have a gun. And uh, they named him Joshua. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead, all right? And Joshua was a great man of God. Boy, did he live for the Lord and serve the Lord. There, it's amazing. There are highlights. Joshua shows up at highlight times in the Bible. The, the Mount Sinai, as, as the Ten Commandments are being given, everybody else was running from the mountain in terror. terror. That's just a great God, thundering and lightning on the top of that mountain. And you'll find that Moses is on top of the mountain, and Joshua's not far behind him. Joshua loved the Lord, loved Moses, was a great servant. You'll find him later, you'll find him later marching around the city of Jericho. Man, oh, you'll find him even before that when they were trying to go into the land and they wouldn't go. And Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two that stood up and said, Our God is able, doesn't matter how big the enemy, doesn't matter how bad the enemy, our God is able to deliver us. And they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness. And now he's the great leader in the land of Israel. Now, in Joshua 24, he's an old man. He served the Lord. He's had a great life. God's really used him. He had a great Christian home, and he was an incredible general. It is said in one of the books that I read about Joshua that some of our great generals in U.S. history, like General Douglas MacArthur and Dwight Eisenhower, would study this man's leadership in the military battles uh, recorded for us in God's Word. This was a man's man, and a very godly man. And I want to read to you two of the most familiar verses you'll find in the Old Testament. In Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood... Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But, y'all know this, don't you? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. His statement has inspired literally millions for centuries. Do whatever you're going to do, he says. Just so you know, we have such a great God and I love him so much that no matter what you all do, as for me, as for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Everybody here ought to have that somewhere on your walls. We have it on the walls of our house. You ought to have it on yours. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I preached to you in the Sunday school hour, if you were here this morning. I preached to you in the Sunday school hour, talking about a family revival. Where do I start? That's what I talked to you about in Sunday school. The morning service today, I talked to you, what do I need? Now I want to come to Sunday night, and I want to preach to you on the subject, what can I do today? So I told you where to start. I told you what you need. Now I want to close out our day today. I said, okay, what can I do? What can I do right now? What can I put into action right now? And this is a great text to choose that from. This is an incredible text because this text lays out for us just some simple statements. Joshua says, look, I want you to serve the Lord and fear Him and love Him and, and don't serve idols. You know God is better than idols, don't you? 
Did y'all know God is better than idols? Way better than idols. God is better than idols. God's way, you know, is better than the world's way. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 mirrors what we learned in Ephesians 4 this morning. God's way is better than the world's way. And here's what I love about Joshua. He's reasonable. Joshua says, okay, you figure it out. Don't take my word for it. Consider. Think it over. Think it if, if, if it seem evil unto you. In other words, think about it. Don't take my word for it. You know that word if, don't you? I think I learned it when I was a boy. When my dad would say, if you don't straighten up right now, I'm going to cloud up and rain all over you. <laughs> Did your dad or mom say something like that? My friend Dr. R.B. Willett is a preacher, pastor in Michigan. And he said that his mom used to say to him, son, if, if you don't straighten up right now, I'm going to jump down your throat and dance on your, your liver. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That scared me to death. And uh, Brother Willett said, I was always afraid she was coming in, you know. <laughs> I'll jump down your throat and dance on your liver. My favorite bumper sticker of all time says, if at first, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is definitely not for you. <laughs> so here's what Joshua says. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. You mean there's somebody somewhere going, you know, I'd serve God, but if I did, it'd be a bad thing. I, I'd have a Christian family, but look what a mess that'd make of our life. I'd work on having a Christian marriage, but who wants a Christian marriage for crying out loud? That's an evil thing. Joshua said, well, if it seems evil, watch this now. If it really seems evil to serve the Lord, then don't do it. Don't do it. Consider it. Don't take my word for it. You think it over. I say to teenagers all the time, you check it out. You look around you. Use your brain. You got a brain. You got a Bible. Use both of them. Look around you and find a family that's that's in the world and say, is that the kind of family I want? Is that the kind of life I want? Is that the result I want? Or find you a family that's a real Christian family, the real deal, genuine Christian family, and say, is that the life I want? Is that the family I want? Is that the result I want? That's what Joshua's telling you to do here. If it seem evil to serve the Lord, don't serve the Lord. But if it's a good thing to serve the Lord, then get the idols out of your life and go all out for God. Get all in and let God use your life. And he says, doesn't matter what you want to do, I've already decided. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I love this text. And so I'm coming along here. Joshua's an old man, and he's telling them what they can do. And uh, so I've got uh, two or three things to share with you tonight. I was thinking about this. What can I do today? What can I do today? What can I do as a dad, as a Christian today? Well, I want to suggest this to you. Do you agree with this? Look on your screen there. What can I do today? You can pray. You can pray. You know what I've found in all my family revivals? There's really, I could sum everybody up in the building in one of three ways. Sometimes I meet believers that are doing pretty well. Things are pretty well in their life. And really what they need is some encouragement. You're on the right path. You're doing well. God bless you. Keep it up. Sometimes I meet people and here's their problem. They're, they're not doing real well. You know what they need? Correction. You're doing wrong. You better straighten up and correct it. And sometimes I meet believers and it's not that they're going the wrong direction. They just don't know what, what direction to go, which direction to go. So some are doing well, need encouragement. Some aren't doing well, need correction. And some don't know whether they're doing well or not. They just need direction. You know what you do when you need direction? You get on your knees and you pray about it. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Are you an average church? 
Have you noticed that in Baptist churches and churches around the world of every stripe and color today, you rarely, you rarely find believers that do any of this. If you're an average Christian in this building tonight, probably don't remember the last time you regularly knelt to pray for your marriage, and your children, and your grandchildren. Sometimes grandparents will come and they'll say, we're really burdened, Brother Young. Will you pray for our children? We're really burdened about them. Our grandkids don't even know God. We don't know what to do. I don't know the answer to that, but I know a God who not only knows the answer to that, has the power to overcome the failures of our lives. So you don't know what to do. You do this. Say, what can I do today? You can pray, and that's a good place to start. How long has it been since you prayed daily for your family? By name. God, you've got to bless our marriage. I pray for our marriage in five ways every day. I say, Lord, help our marriage to be strong. Help our love to be growing. Help our words to be sweet. Help our forgiveness to be swift. And help our romance to be smoking hot. I pray that every day. That's what I'll preach, won't it? Say, Lord, bless that. Don't you want a strong marriage? Don't you believe God can do anything? Do you have a prayer life? Let's start right there. What can I do today? You can start walking with God today. You can pray. You need a prayer life. Do you have a prayer life? Do you have a prayer life? You're a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. Do you pray? Do you have a prayer life? You know what it takes, don't you, to have a prayer life? It takes a place. It takes time. It takes a posture. And maybe a list. Because you need something to pray for. Jesus said, when you pray, enter into your, help me out. When you pray, enter into your, that's a private place. Now, you can pray anywhere. Did you all know that? You can pray while you're doing the dishes, can't you? You can pray while you're folding the laundry, can't you? You can pray, you can pray while you're, you can pray while you're driving. The way people drive today, you better pray while you're driving. Are you all with me on that? You can pray when you go to Walmart. And the way prices are going up, you better pray when you go to Walmart. But that's a different kind of praying that I'm talking about here. I'm not a prayer life where you meet with God on a regular basis because your marriage and your family is in need of God. You pray. Needs a place. Do you have a prayer closet? Uh, it's not necessarily a closet like we have today. In Bible times, that word closet had the idea of a private place, a designated place, a set-apart place where you can meet with God, just you and God, just you and God. Freely meet with God and be there with God in, 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 in your designated place. Daniel had a place. Remember that? He went to his room three times a day, the book of Daniel tells us. And he kneeled. He had a place. And he had a time three times a day. And he had a posture. He knelt. That's a good thing to do in a prayer line. You need a place designated. That's where I'm going to meet with God. That's where I'm going to spend some time with God. And you need a, you, you need a time designated. The, the psalmist said he prayed morning, noon, and evening. Three times a day he prayed. Now, that, that's not a command. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt pray morning, noon, and evening. The psalmist just said that's when I did it. So I don't know when you should but every one of us ought to have a prayer life, a place, a time. Posture is important in prayer. Did you all know that? That's why I did this. This is a prayer posture. It's a, it's a, it's a definite way to pray. Posture on your knees. There's something reverent about that. On your knees. That's a prayer posture. It's not the only posture, but it's probably the most prominent posture in the Bible. To kneel. 
My friend Dr. Tice, who wrote that book, Raising God's Kids in Sin City, when I pray with him, he prays on his face. He always lays down, flat on his face, to spend time with God. That's how he always prays, on his face. He prays with his grandkids. He'll lay down on the floor, flat on his face, when he prays with his grandkids. He's praying with his one grandson. I think he was seven. He's spending the night with grandpa. He went in and put him to bed, had a sleeping bag on the floor, and he laid down on the floor beside his grandson. He said, son, let's pray before we go to bed. And he prayed, and Pastor Tice prays big prayers. He just prays big stuff. He's praying along, and, and, and Jonathan's only seven. He's praying for him, praying, praying, praying. And in his prayer, he said, now, Lord, give Jonathan a really, really godly Christian wife. And Jonathan, in the middle of pastor's praying, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> He goes, Grandpa, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> he said, little boy's right there. But nothing wrong with praying about it, is there? So you can kneel, you can lay on your face. You, you, David, even the Bible tells us in one of the stories of David, that David went to the temple, had a place, went there to pray, and he sat in the presence of the Lord. You can sit in the presence of the Lord. I, I like that passage, and you guys that have heard me speak at the prayer advance probably have heard me talk about this. I love the passage in the New Testament where this is a prayer posture for men. The Bible says, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Since he says everywhere, this is often how I pray at a restaurant. Just pray with your hands up. Are they holy? Then you can pray like this. Now, sometimes people get offended by that, and they're like, oh, my word, he's turning Pentecostal. Pentecostals may be wrong in some areas, but it's not because they raise their hands. That part's actually biblical. Are you with me on that? Nothing wrong with this, and it's a way you can pray. God, you can pray by lifting up your hands. I'm talking about, what can I do today? I got, I got a family. I want God's blessings. I want my marriage to be good. I want my children to be well. I want my life to be well. I want my grandkids to be well. Here's what you can do today. You can pray. You can get to God today. Mom, do you pray? Daddy, do you pray? How long has it been, Dad, since you prayed for your children by name? Daily. Grandparents, you praying for those grandkids by name? Big things? How many of y'all believe God does big things? Y'all believe that? He's able, isn't he? You have a great God. I said, you have a great God. And so what can I do today? I can pray. Joshua says, look, this is a messed up world and there's idols everywhere and, and you gotta decide what you're gonna do. Well, what can I do? I can pray. Start there. Do you pray as a family? Well, you should. You pray as a couple, you should. One of the sweetest things that my wife and I do is to pray together. You don't, you know, I, you don't have to put on sackcloth and ashes and pray for an hour. But when Bethany and I take a few moments every day to, it's to touch each other, hold hands, and bow our heads before God together, and pray together for Abby, Josh, Matt, Jake, Charity, for Abby's David, for Joshua's, Bethany. We pray. Something special about that. When's the last time you and your spouse prayed with each other? So we don't know how to start. Well, designate a time. We're going to pray before we go to sleep, or we're going to pray before I go to work. Designate a time and make it known. Before I go to work, we'll have a word of prayer together. Before we go to sleep at night, we'll have a word of prayer together. And help each other. Sometimes my wife will say, Honey, we're going to pray. So I'm one of those guys, I go to sleep fast. Sometimes my wife will say, honey, we're going to pray, and I'm just almost out. I mean, 
Give me two seconds and I'll be dead to the world. I feel like faking it. <laughs> but I know it's important to pray. What can I do today? Well, we can pray. Now watch this. Let's go to the text and notice this. What can I do today? What can I do today? What can I do? I can pray. And number two, I can make a choice. Isn't that the point of the text? If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. I can make choices. Choose you this day. I broke them down into three things for you to consider. Number one, I ought to choose to make commitments. Isn't that the point of the text? Make a commitment. You're a child of God. You're concerned about your home, your family, your kids, your grandkids, your own life. Then here's what you do. You make a commitment. And here's the commitment he calls on you to make. Number one, fear God. Number two, serve God. Number three, be the real deal. Number two, do it in truth. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity, that's the real deal, and in truth. Start by making a commitment. How long has it been since you made a commitment about your walk with God? To say, you know what? I'm gonna fear God. You know, fear has two parts to it, right? You know, fear God has two parts. On the one hand, the word fear is phobia. It's where we get the English word phobia. Uh, it has two meanings to it in the Bible, though. One side of the coin, one side of the word means I'm scared to death. And the other side of the coin has the idea of genuine reverential trust. Both of them are in order. You know, there's a sense in which you and I will be scared to death. Anybody here, anybody here ever scared to death? Like I hate spiders. If a spider's crawling up my arm, it scares me to death. I don't know how to dance, but if a spider's crawling up my arm, I've got some pretty decent moves. It scares me to death. Fear. I mean, fear the Lord, the Bible says. Uh, do, you, do, you have a, do you have a definite fear that, you know what? Uh, God, I, I could bring your judgment into my life. What does your Bible say? Your Bible says uh, very dogmatically, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also what? Is that true? That'll be fear in my life. You teenagers here tonight, listen to me. There ought to be a different fear in your life that you would reap what you sow. That you could do wrong and bring judgment into your life and sorrow and sadness and heartache and heartbrokenness. You ought, to, you ought to have a definite fear of our God. There's a sense in which I'm scared to death that I would displease him and bring his judgment into my life. But here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. The better side of that word is my God is so good and so loving and so wonderful. My life ought to just be an evidence that I have a reverential respect and love and awe of Almighty God. That's the fear that Joshua's trying to tell you to have. Yes, some of you ought to be scared to death. If you're going the wrong direction, and you're living a foolish lifestyle, and you're involved in things you ought not to be involved in, you're going to get caught, it's going to come home, and you're going to pay the price, and it's always painful to face the consequences of God's judgment. It always is. It always, always is. I had an uncle. I still have the uncle. So that wasn't exactly the way to say it. But when I was a boy, I used to work for my uncle. And, uh, you know, he was dishonest. He, he wasn't a believer. My daddy got saved, but my uncle never did. And my uncle was the biggest thief in the world. He was a contractor, and he just all the time, he'd say, you know, I'd throw that in the back of the truck. They'll never miss that. Put that in there. They'll never miss it. He'd, take, he'd work on somebody's house and find something in the attic. He'd just, if he liked it, he'd take it. He'd say, he's a thief. He's a thief. 
And I remember just being appalled. I, I, I was always scared to death of, of getting caught, but he'd steal stuff all the time. Now he's an older man, and he's a bitter, angry man. You know why? Because his own son sits in a prison cell tonight for stealing. You better fear God. You'll reap what you sow. But you don't have to live your life in, in, in fear and trepidation because, yes, God can judge our lives, but God wants to bless our lives. God wants to bless our home and bless our marriage. He wants it to be well in my life. So reverence him. This is make a commitment. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to reverence him and be in awe of him and love him. And then the second one is I'm going to serve him. I'm going to put God first in my life, and I'm going to live for the Lord, and I'm going to go all out for the Lord. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to fear Him. I'm going to serve Him. And He says, in sincerity, I'm going to be the real deal. Daddies, can I ask you a question tonight? You men in, uh, in, in the church building tonight, I want to ask you men a question. Are you the real deal? Do you just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and go home and, and live any way you want to live? Or are you the real deal? If you were to die tonight, could we stand up at your funeral and say, I'll tell you what, he might not have been perfect, but would your children stand up and say, my daddy was the real deal. When he said he was a Christian, he meant it. He lived it. He acted it. He, he lived it. My daddy was the, would your, would your kids say that about you, mom? Mom is the real deal. She is the real Christian. She is the real deal. Make a commitment. I'm going to be real. Real is important, isn't it? Something terrible about being fake. Pastor and I were talking about a, a preacher that both of us know, and, and, and he wasn't the real deal. Cost him and his ministry and many other people dearly because he was such a fraud, a phony. And God called me and you to be real. I'm going to be the real deal. Daddy, are you the real deal? Are you fake? You live in a fake life? You live one way on the job and... Another way, at church. Real is important. I heard one preacher say, he said, you know, typically we come to church to preserve our reputation, but we go home and reveal our character. I can fake it down here. Don't you? Don't we tend to fake it in church? If everything in our life is a mess, you can have the biggest fight in the world on the way to church, can't you? But you walk in and get all spiritual. Hello, brother. Well, God bless you, sister. And you just had a big old fight with your spouse and haven't even made it right yet. I got an evangelist friend. He and his wife had a little, little spat. It wasn't a big deal. A little spat before one of the services. And he was on the platform and the people are singing. And, uh, and he had to leave the platform. And his wife was on the front row. And he left the platform and came down to his wife. And he said, honey, I can't preach until you and I uh, make this right. And I'm sorry I said what I said. And will you forgive me? That's the real deal. That's the real deal. Make a commitment. Choose to make a commitment. Truth. You know what you need? You need the Bible. I'm going to get in the Word of God every day. Serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. This is truth. God's Word is truth. Do you read it every day? Do you teach it to your children? Is the Word of God a part of your life and your family and your home? Am I making sense tonight? What can I do today? Here's what I can do today. I can pray. I can pray. And here's what I can do today. I can make a choice. I can choose to make a commitment. I got two more. I can choose to make corrections in my life. You know, one of the problems of our generation, things aren't well in our life, and we just ignore it and keep on going with continually things being wrong in our life. Some of you, you're too busy. 
That's what's wrong in your marriage and your family. You're too stinking busy. You're too busy. You don't pray with your spouse. You don't have time. You don't pray with your children. You don't have time. You're not faithful to church. You don't have time. It's time to change something. It's a foolish thing for things to be wrong in my life, and I just keep on going without making a correction in my life. I've got to make corrections. In Pensacola, they're building a new bridge from uh, Pensacola downtown to Gulf Breeze. You're familiar with that, aren't you? The three-mile bridge. And I have a neighbor that's working on that bridge. And the other day, it got inspected. They're way along on that bridge. Big old concrete, you know, pieces all along the edge there. They're ready to start putting the top on. It got inspected the other day. And the concrete's cracking. They got to go back and redo all that concrete. They got to redo all that concrete. That's terrible, isn't it? It's like, oh. All the money, all the time, all that wasted concrete. But you want to know something? It's worth making the correction. Yeah. You better believe it's worth making the correction. I wouldn't want to be driving across that bridge when the concrete decides to go. Oh, make it right. Corrections are important. And so many times in our lives, we don't have a Christian family. We're not doing too well. We're too busy. And sometimes the reason we're busy, we're in debt head over heels. There is something wrong in the American dream when we got houses bigger than we can pay for. We can survive without the homes that we live in many times. Most of us would be better Christians if we sold our bigger houses and bought smaller ones and had more time to enjoy life and less debt. Doesn't that sound un-American? But it's biblical. So you can make corrections. Immaturity. I was counseling one couple and and I said, she is all upset at him. And I said, what's, 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 why are you so upset at him? And she said, because all he does, all he does is go to work and come home and play video games. I said, how, in the, how old are you? 41. I'm sorry, if you're 41 years old and all you do after work is play video games, something ought to be corrected in your life. Immaturity's killing us in this generation. Wise up, man up, woman up, and do right. Make corrections. It's not wrong to play a video game. Jacob loves playing video games. But if Jacob is 31 years old someday and married, and all he does is play video games, I'm going to have to shoot him. In Christian love, of course. I'm being silly, and you know that. I, I, I know you've got to be careful about that kind of statement today. I understand that. But I'm being silly. But the point is, if you've got some immaturity in your life, grow up. It's a terrible thing for a man to be 51 years old and still acting like the teenager he was 30 years ago. Grow up. I hate going to the mall and seeing a young man in his 30s dragging a kid down through the middle of the mall still wearing hip-hop. Pull those pants up. I feel like getting me a staple gun going through the mall. Click, 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 click. Let me help your pants. I know it's just a fad. We all do it when we're kids. We want to fit in. I understand the fads. You know that, don't you? I'm not opposed to a teenager who's wanting to fit in and enjoying everything that's cool. I know we all did that when we were youth. But when you're 31 years old and you're still struggling with the issues of your youth, it's time to correct some things. And what about laziness, that complacency? 
You know why many of us don't have a better Christian family? Because we're too lazy to pray every day and too lazy to teach them the Word of God and too lazy to take a stand and correct them and discipline them. We're just casual. We're just floating along. I'm just telling you, it takes a lot of stinking hard work to have a godly family. It's not easy. And laziness won't cut it. I think there was a generation, perhaps a couple of generations back, I think there was a generation where you could be complacent and your kids still turn out fairly well. The reason being is because two or three generations back, maybe two generations back, a family, a dad or mom might be lazy and immature, but a kid would go to school and God would put a coach in his life or a teacher in his life or a teacher in her life, somebody in her life that would help her or him to overcome the issues of a failing family. You know what's changed in our generation? It's almost impossible to find anybody that can help this generation overcome the failure of the home. There's almost no place to turn now. So mom and dads, the fact of the matter is, if you and I don't make corrections, our families will suffer. So I've said to you, make commitments, make corrections. Here's one more, make changes. Is it okay to put that on the screen, what I just wrote up there? Stop being a zero. You're a child of God. Have a Christian home. Stop being a jerk. You're a Christian. Stop being so selfish. Make changes in your life. You know, you can be a, you can be a hero at church and a zero at home. Are you aware of that? I've met too many people that are heroes at church. Boy, they're involved in the church and they can sing and they can play and they're a deacon and they're a zero at home. Never pray with their kids, never read the Bible, never pray with their spouse. Zero at home. We need, to, we need to make some changes. Don't be a jerk at home. That's what I talked about this morning, about humility, gentleness, patience, love, peace. All of us have better days than some. We're all human. I understand that. But if the norm of your life can I just say this gently? If the norm of your life is you're just a jerk to your wife and kids or to your husband and kids, then my dear friend, you need revival. Make some changes. Stop being so selfish. Let's live for God. What can I do today? I want to have a Christian home. What can I do now? Well, I can pray. I can pray. I can make a choice. Watch this and I'll be done. You can take first steps. You can take first steps. I thought, okay, Joshua, what are you saying to these people? Joshua comes along here in Joshua 24 and he says to them, you know what's wrong in our lives? In, in your lives, some of you are in danger of serving the gods that your fathers served. Your daddy was a failure and you're going to be a failure. Your, your, your family history is a history of failure, and you're going to have a history of failure. And you know what? The fact of the matter is, you, you, need to, you need to start taking steps to overcome that. You need to make up your mind. You need to decide where you are and what's going on in your life and what you're going to do about it. Like, like first steps, like these. Think, think about it like this, and I'll be done. First steps. Church. How many of you in this building are saved on your way to heaven? And church ought to be a priority, shouldn't it? Church ought to be a priority. So for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You ought to be in church. You ought to be in church. You need the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is important. 
It's fellowship. It's friendship. It's provoking one another to love and good works. It's serving together. It's, it's learning together. It's growing together. It's hearing God's word together. It's togetherness. It's, it's the church. It's important. First step. Maybe you're a dad in this room tonight, and, and the step you ought to take is, you know what? Our family is going to get in church. Nothing will be more important than church in our home. See, what if they play ball on Sunday? Then I won't be there. Was that too harsh? Was that over the top? Not if you're a real Christian. You know that there's no Muslim teams that play on Sunday? Because the Muslims won't go. It's their holy days. On a holy day, they don't do it. If you and I are people of the resurrection, this is a holy day. I understand there's exceptions. I understand that. I'm not totally weird. Just mostly. I understand that there are exceptions. Sometimes a man has to work or a lady has to work on Sunday. I understand that sometimes. And I am thankful for police officers who work on Sunday. I'm thankful for a nurse that's available on Sunday if I need a nurse or a doctor. I'm thankful. I'm, I understand practicality. But it is amazing that in our generation, church is so flippantly treated. But a first step says the church. First step, leadership. There's men in this room. You know what you ought to do, sir? You ought to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to start tonight. I'm going to start tonight. As for me and my house, I'm going to start leading in my home. Tonight, I'm going to start leading. I'm going to start leading in my home tonight. I'm going to go home, sit my family down, say, you know what? We're going to make some changes in our home. I just want to tell you what they are. And here's the first change we're going to make. We're going to start praying together every day. See, that's spiritual leadership. Say to your son, hey, son, we're going we're gonna to make some changes here. You can't, play, you can't play video games until. You know, it's not wrong to play video games, but I think it'd be good. You have to chop wood to play video games. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if you had to chop wood to get your video game to play? <laughs> Somebody should invent that. I'm just telling you right now. I'd buy it, patent it. It'd be a good deal, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, I'm being a little silly tonight. So you got to lead. you got to make your mind up. Uh, my friend Evangelist Mike Self, he's single. He was preaching at a church way out west some months ago, and a youth pastor said to my friend Mike Cassell, he said, man, I'm so glad you're preaching to my kid. My kid really needs it. He's just really struggling. He said, all he's done this summer is play video games. All he has done this summer is play video games. It's all he's done this summer. Brother Self is a little bit of a prophet. This youth pastor, fundamental Baptist, independent, fundamental Baptist youth pastor. Oh, my kid's done this summer. Let's play video games. Brother Self said, uh, well, I don't mean this to be offensive, but you know whose fault that is? That's not his. That's yours. And I said, what did he say? He said, he didn't say nothing. <laughs> so what can you say? Because that's the truth, isn't it? Amen. You bother with your kids, then lead. He said, that son of mine doesn't know how to work. I know whose fault that is. He hasn't been trained to work. Those kids of mine, all they want to do is play video games. Sell the video game. Put it on Craigslist for free. It'll be gone just like this. I'm telling you, somebody will come get it. Listen, the point is not to be silly. The point is somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to rise up in our generation, say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to learn how to work. We're going to learn how to do what right. 
We're going to have respect. We're going to honor. We're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to serve the Lord. Leadership. And somebody's got to follow. Wives, partner with your husband. Get on board and say, all right, honey, if you want to pray every day, then we're going to pray every day. If you're telling me the kids can't play video games, we'll sell the video. I'm with you, honey. I'm following you. You're the man. You're my man. I'm all about you. You're my man. You the man. You the man. You the big man. The triple extra large man. I was a little bothered how much pastor kept pointing it out today for you. I felt sorry for y'all. We need some more of these triple extra large for our church. I'm like, Lord, we need a diet program for our church. It's really hard. I was like, man, he's rough on these people. But here's the whole point. Somebody's got to lead and somebody's got to follow. Take first steps. You know what we're going to do? We're going to change things. We're going to turn the TV off a little more than we do. Some families, the TV's on all day, all day, all day, all day, all day. Noise, 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 noise. Nobody's watching. It's just on. So be wise. Nothing wrong with the TV. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a technology. Thank God for technology. I love technology. I got a cell phone. I got a car. I got a microphone. I love technology. But we should not allow technology to destroy our homes. I got to land this plane. Y'all pray for me. I got I got to slow down here and stop. God's wanting you to have a Christian home. And here's what you can do. You can pray. Here's what you can do. You can make a choice. Here's what you can do. You can take first steps. You can go to work training your children. Train your kids to obey. I'm going to talk about that this week. <laughs> Train your kids to obey. You can uh, pray with them. Train them to walk with God. Mom, it takes a lot of work to train a daughter how to cook. But it'd be a good thing to learn. It takes a lot of work to train a young man how to, how to make a living. But it'd be a good thing to learn. Parenting's hard work. Having a Christian family is hard work. But here's the point. It's worth it. It's worth it. And that's why Joshua comes along and says, it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So the question tonight is, what can I do today? How many of you, nobody but us, how many of you would say, you know what, Brother Young? I could work on my prayer life. Anybody that way in the building? Let me see here. Anybody in the, in the building? I could work on praying with my wife or my children. Let me see here. Anybody like that in the building today? How many of you could say, you know what, Brother Young? I could make a choice. There's some corrections I can make. There's some changes I could make. There's some commitments I can make. Anybody like that? Let me see your hand. Anybody like that? How many of you say, you know what, Brother Young? I could take a step. I could choose two or three steps and say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step. I'm going to take a first step because I want a Christian home. I can take a first step, a first step, a first step. Anybody here like that? I could take a first step. May God help us all to do it, okay? God bless you so much for hearing God's word tonight. Uh, let's have our pianist come to the piano and just take a couple of verses and play for us because I think we ought to pray tonight. So we sure need the Lord tonight. We sure need the Lord. I know it's not always easy to kneel, but it's often good to. If you can't kneel, be seated. But God spoke to you. I know he did. It's, it's 20 after. I know it's, it's late. It's time to go. But we ought to seek the Lord before we do. Take a few moments, pray. I know we have, a, I think, a brief offering, and, and then our night will be gone. Stand together. We may cross the building. Seek the Lord as she plays our hymn.